Does anybody um, remember Kodak? Anybody know how Kodak went bankrupt? Kodak went bankrupt because of digital film. Digital film killed them. The ironic thing about that is that the inventors of digital film were Kodak. Kodak, about 10 years before anybody else had digital film, invented and created digital film within their own company. When this invention was brought to the leadership though, and leadership heard about it, they decided it was a terrible idea because 90% of their profits came from selling physical film. And so if they themselves released this digital film that was cheaper and required people to no longer buy this hard film, what was that going to do to their, their bottom line? And so they shut down development of the technology, they buried it within their own company, and they did anything and everything possible to not let that be released. The problem was is they're not the only ones who work on film or camera, and eventually others discovered how to do digital film, released it, and wiped out Kodak. And Kodak went from being the number one player in the industry, owning most of the market, being the ones that actually had the technology before anybody else, to being bankrupt. There's many companies that you can study who went through this exact same situation. You know the inventors of Redbox, you know those little DVD rental movies, anybody use those over vacation? Those guys first went to Blockbuster and tried to sell that concept to them. And Blockbuster said, no thank you, we're not interested. Did you ever buy a Blockbuster lately? Sometimes you can see the old ones. I really like when people keep the old sign and just turn it into something new. I think that's very creative. <laughs> There's actually one Blockbuster still open in the United States. Uh, and they still rent VHSs. And people go there for like an old retro kind of experience. <laughs> they think it's fun. I share that with you because these companies, when they actually started their downfalls, it was not when they were at their low points. It was when they were at their high points. The decisions that they made that ended up killing their companies came not in moments of weakness, they came in moments of strength. And in those moments of strength, what they did is they looked in the mirror and they said, we're good. I'm good. Everything is as I would want it to be, or at least I'm content with how things are. No need for progress, no need for growth, Let's just ride this out. The problem with that is that's not how life works. Because you can decide all you want that you're not going to change, but what you can't control is the environment around you. And so these co companies decided, hey, we're not changing, and that was fine. But the world around them did. And new challenges arose, new enemies arose, New obstacles arose, and because they stayed pat where they were, what they found was, is the abilities that made them successful in the past could no longer make them successful in the future. And they fell. And I share this with you this week because as we're rolling into the beginning of the new year, this is the time when most people reflect. Right? 
I mean, if you flip on your TV at home, if you flip by any news channel, what are you going to see? You're going to see the best of 2018, the worst of 2018, the funniest moments of 2018, the most tweeted about things of 2018, right? Everybody's going to be reflecting on the year we've just gone through. And what follows closely on the heels of reflecting on this year is thinking about next year. And some of us will make those resolutions. Who's made resolutions in the last five years? No one wants to raise their hands because most of them didn't keep them. <laughs> they're afraid I'm going to ask them what those resolutions were, and then they're going to have to tell me I bailed on them in February, which, by the way, is when most people bail on their resolutions is February. And this year, what I'm going to challenge you is I actually want you to make resolutions. I actually want you to be resolved to become different, to become better, to become stronger, to become a sharper and more powerful instrument in the hands of God. I think some of us, we have become content with life. Not that we think things are perfect. Not that we think everything is fantastic. But we have learned to navigate these waters. We know the good. We know the bad. We know how to walk down that middle line. And we're okay. We can make it. We can make it from week to week. And so once we've learned to do that, we stop striving and we just try to stay right there. That is a terrible way to live. The beauty, in fact, of what God gives us is God has given us so much grace. God has given us so much forgiveness. He actually gives you and I, as His children, more room to run more room to risk because unlike others that don't have God, we know that even if we fall and fail, what do we have? We have a loving Father who will pick us back up, clean us off, empower us, and set us back on course. Amen. See, others who don't have that Father, they live in fear. They're afraid because they know if they fail, there may not be anybody there to pick them up. There may not be anyone to dust them off, to clean them, to empower them, and to put them back out. You and I know we have the freedom to run and run with everything we have, and even if we fall, Dad will pick us back up. And so I want to show you today one quick story. I emphasize quick. The perfect storm for me is these family worship days, especially today. I haven't preached in three weeks. Which means i got like 50 sermons I want to give you guys. I've got 18 minutes and a bunch of kids. So strap on your seatbelts and let's get going. All right? If you have your Bibles, open up to 1 Chronicles 17. I want to show you a man who makes a plan. And I want you to see how he develops that plan, why he develops that plan, and what he does when that plan changes. And I want you to learn from it to think about how you yourself can make resolutions this year. So 1 Chronicles chapter 17, we're going to look at David. And it came about when David dwelt in his house that David said to Nathan the prophet, Behold, I'm dwelling in a house of cedar, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under curtains. Then Nathan said to David, Do all that is in your heart, for God is with you. It came about that same night, though, that word of God came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell David my servant, Thus says the Lord, You shall not build a house for me to dwell in. 
For I have not dwelt in a house since the day that I brought up Israel to this day. But I have gone from tent to tent and from one dwelling place to another. In all places where I have walked with all Israel, I have spoken a word with any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, Why have you not built for me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to the leader over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make a name like your, your name of the great ones who are on the earth. I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place and not be moved again. And the wicked will not waste them any more as formerly. Even from the day that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and I will subdue all your enemies. Moreover, I tell you that the Lord will build a house for you. When your days are fulfilled, that you must go to be with your fathers, that I will set up one of your descendants after you, who will be one of your sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build for me a house, and I will establish his throne forever. And so in this passage, something interesting happens. David is sitting in his beautiful palace. He's looking at what he has, surrounded by gold and immaculate wood designs in this just beautiful, beautiful palace. And he remembers that God's representation physically is the Ark of the Covenant, which is in the tabernacle, which is just simply a tent. And he thinks, why am I surrounded by gold? Why am I surrounded by this beautiful building? And yet our almighty God is in a tent. Doesn't seem right to him. He thinks if anybody should be honored, it should be God. And so his idea is, I'm going to build a place for God. We are going to take God's house from being a tent and we are going to build God's house into the most beautiful temple that you've ever seen. It will make my palace look like nothing. And this is a beautiful thought. But he talks to Nathan and Nathan is a prophet and at first Nathan's like, hey, great idea. God has always been with you. You have a heart like God's. This sounds like a great plan. It's to glorify Him. Do it. But that night... God talks to Nathan and says, No! Have I ever asked for this? Have I ever told you I wanted this? Have I ever told you I need it? No. It's not going to happen, David. But, David, one day I will have one of your sons do it for me. One day I will move to a place and I will have one of your children build me this temple that you're dreaming about. Now think about that if you're David. How could you take that message? Could party be bummed? Let me ask you this. Have you ever been at work? This has never happened to me. This has never, ever happened to me. Maybe it has. Maybe I'm just saying that because these sermons get recorded and sometimes my boss listens to them and I don't want him to hear the story thinking it's about him. Have you ever been at work and you've shared your idea with your boss one-on-one? -on -one? And one-on-one -on -one they're like, eh... Nah, I, you know, don't really think that's going to work. And then you guys get into a team meeting a couple weeks later, and maybe their boss is present, 
And everybody's thinking about what could we do? How could we solve this problem? And your boss all of a sudden goes, you know, I've got an idea. <laughs> and they share an idea that sounds remarkably close to your idea. And everybody loves it. Everybody's like, that's brilliant. What a great idea. You're a genius. And you're waiting. Right? You're waiting for that moment that they're going to be like, to be fair, not really my idea. So-and-so came up with it. Right? You're waiting for that moment, but what never happens? That moment never happens. Right? Your idea is identified as brilliant. It's identified as great. In fact, it's going to be carried out by the company. But who's not going to get the credit? You. You think David could have felt that way? God, I'm the one sitting here. I'm the one whose heart ached because you didn't have a place like this. I come up with this idea. I want to do this. I tell you about it. And you go, nope, but your kid's going to do it. So you like the idea, God. You just don't want me to do it. That kind of stinks. And in fact, we're not going to read it, but if you want to look later, look at 1 Chronicles 22. God explains why, no, David. And what he basically says to David is, David, you have been a king for me and you have served me, but you have served me in times of war and you have served me with lots of bloodshed. Your legacy, David, in many ways is the lives that have been lost and the wars that have been fought. I want the man that builds my house to be a man of peace. I want the man that builds my house to be one that doesn't have blood on his hands. I want him to be a man who is peaceful. And so even God explains to David why it's not going to be his dream. But as we look at this, there's, there's really three things I want you to take away from it. The first is this. David had a plan that honors God. Amen. And so the problem I think most of you guys have when you've made New Year's resolutions is, I think most of the time when you make New Year's resolutions, they're about you. They're not about him. You look at your life, you look at your gaps, you look at your weaknesses, and you go, how could I make me better? And to be honest, this is one of my biggest pet peeves because the church feeds into this all the time. The church goes to God and to Scripture like it's a self-help manual. Even go to Lifeway, which is one of my favorite places to go, and walk around and just look at the books. Who are the books about? You. How to fix your marriage. How to fix your finances. How to fix your health. How to make your life better. How to live your best life now. How to... You, 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 you. Which kind of stinks because do you know what this book is about? Not you. It's about God. It just so happens that when you read about God and understand God and know God, it does have impacts on you. But the focus is Him. It's Him, not you. And so the beautiful thing that David does that's different than how you and I normally make resolutions is David is sitting there with the intelligence that God has given him, with the will that God has given him, with the heart that God has given him, and using those beautiful things that God gave him, he goes, I have an idea of what I could do that would honor God. 
I want to do this thing to bring glory to my Father. And that's beautiful. That's beautiful. See, brothers and sisters, what I find with people on resolutions and plans is we're normally extremes. I know some people are like, I don't need a plan. Forget plans. They never come true. God's in charge. Whatever He wants, we'll have that happen. And I know others who, they have everything in their life planned. They got a five-year plan, a ten-year plan, a two-month plan, a one-week plan, a Monday plan, a Wednesday plan. Right? They got everything planned out. I think your life should be somewhere in the middle. Right? Like, I don't think it's bad to plan because you're using what God has given you. Right? God gave you a brain. He would like you to use it. It is more respectful of God to use the brain He gave you to make good plans than it is to not use the brain that God gave you and just wait for Him to show up. The analogy I always use, it's like the people are like, God, please send someone to encourage my friend. Hey, idiot, that's probably you. You're the one who realized your friend needs encouragement. You're the one going, I wish God would put someone in their life that they know who could talk to them and encourage them. Guess who would be really good at that? You! So don't just pray, get up, walk across the room, and go encourage them. But there's so many of us that don't do this. We keep waiting around, and here's the thing about that. God did not build you to be a robot. Remember, He's the one that weaved you together in your mother's womb. He's the one that shaped your personality. He's the one that put you together. He wants you to use what He's given, like the men we talked about, and He wants you to invest that. He wants you to take those talents, take those abilities, and spread them out. Not for your glory, but for His. And so the start of the story is David doing just that. David using his heart, his brain, his ideas to do what? To do something that honors and glorifies God. Now here's the brilliant part of David. He doesn't stop there. Because here's what some of us do. Some of us, we go, okay, cool, I'm going to make a plan. I got my plan, it's locked in, this is what's happening. And yes, it may be godly motivated, and yes, it may be godly in intent, and yes, it may have a godly goal. But here's what I can tell you. You can still go the wrong way trying to do the right thing. And so the key thing that David does is he doesn't just in isolation make a godly plan. He then seeks God's desire. He then seeks to know, God, here is my plan. What do you think about it? Here's what I want to do for you, Lord. What's your input? And so we see him, he's praying, he goes to Nathan the prophet, and he's talking to him and asking, what do you think? This is what I want to do for God, this is why I want to do for God, what's your take? He's seeking the advice and guidance of other Christians, of other believers, to ultimately know, what does God want about this? And to be honest, brothers and sisters, this is where your maturity has to change. Many of us have just gotten to a point where we can decide between good and bad. Let's be real. That should be something that relatively is easy for us to do. Right? If like the options are, should I cheat on my wife or not cheat on my wife, that should be an easy call for us. 
Right? Probably don't need to get a prayer group together on that. Probably don't need to do too much delving into the Word to figure out which way God goes on that one. Right? Probably don't need to call the pastor and go, Pastor, please, give me your biblical take on this one. <laughs> Love to know which way to go because I'm just 50-50 on this. That should be one we're pretty easy to go, eh, wrong, right, should do right. But what happens when you get two job offers? Well, both places sound good. Both places allow you to use your talents and abilities. Both places allow you to provide for your family. Both places seem to have good people where you could be a person that grows. You could be light. But then, it's not good and bad. It's good and good. It's in those moments that you have to pray. You have to seek God's guidance because the reality is there's not really a bad choice necessarily. But you still know there's one that God wants in your life. So we see David do that. He doesn't just make a good godly plan. He then seeks, Father, tell me. What do you think? What do you think of this idea? What do you want me to do here? And here's where you can see the unbelievable heart of David. It's not just the plan he built. It's not just that he seeks God's will. But it's how he responds he has an unbelievable, joyful obedience to God's plan. So, we talked about how when our ideas are taken from us and used by somebody else, that bums us out. It's not how David responds at all. It's not how David responds at all. Flip with me to 1 Chronicles 22. I'm going to pick out a few pieces I want you to look at. In 1 Chronicles 22, after he learns that he's not to build this, look at what David starts to do. It says, Then David said, This is the house of the Lord God, and this is the altar of burnt offering for Israel. So David gave orders to gather the foreigners who were in the land of Israel, and he set stone cutters to hew out stones to build the house of God. David prepared large quantities of iron to make the nails for the doors of the gates and for the clamps, and more bronze than could be weighed. And timbers of cedar, logs beyond number, for the Sidonians and Tyrians brought large quantities of cedar and timber to David. David said, My son Solomon is young and inexperienced, and the house that is to be built for the Lord shall be exceedingly magnificent, famous and glorious throughout all lands. Therefore now I will make preparation for it. And so David made ample preparations before his death. Do you see what happens there? Do you see how beautiful that is? David has a dream to build the temple for God, to honor him. God comes to him and goes, David, I love you, but no. You're not going to build it. Your son is. Does David pout? Does David cry? Does David go, that's not fair? No, David goes, awesome. My son's going to build it for you? Then I will spend the rest of my life getting all the supplies my son will need so that when you tell him to build, he is ready to go. Amen. David doesn't pout at all that his plan has been changed. As soon as he clearly hears God's will, he goes, boom, with you, Lord. Let's go. You want somebody else to build it? How can I help? How can I make your will happen? That's so beautiful. It's so beautiful because, brothers and sisters, that's what we should all be doing. We should be using the God-given talent abilities the Lord has given us to make plans to honor God. 
We should start living those plans and throughout that, praying that God will speak to us, God will guide us, God will help us shape, and if necessary, change those plans. And when God speaks to us boldly and we hear Him, even if His direction is a complete 180 from what we wanted to do, we go, yes, Father, and we start marching that way. And not with resentment, not with sadness, but with joy, with passion and ability. That's how you make a good resolution. That's how you do something awesome. Now, brothers and sisters, when we were talking this morning with the kids, we looked at the story of the three servants. I shared that with them to tie into this that we're talking about today. If what you and I share with each other is true, that each and every one of us is a child of God, then that means right in here lives the Spirit of the Almighty. That means God, the creator of the universe, isn't just someone who's near us, isn't just someone who's around us, isn't just someone I can talk to. It means that God, the Almighty, has made His residence here. He lives in me. Some of us, we're not living like that. Some of us, we have the Almighty Spirit of God with unbelievable love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control living here. And nobody sees it. Because you've hidden it. You've hidden it from the world. Stop. Make plans this year. Make resolutions this plan year to go, how do I shine that light? How do I take this unbelievable gift that God has given me, dig it up from this hidden place I've put it, and put it out where it multiplies? Put it out where it hasn't just changed my heart. It hasn't just changed my soul. It hasn't just changed my life. But it becomes a force that changes everybody around you. Amen. Be that light in darkness. Where wherever you go, you change the environment. You may not always see what you want to see. You may not always shine a light on things you want to be aware of. But when you are the light, wherever you go, the world changes. Be that. I don't care about you losing weight so you can fit into a bikini. I don't care about you losing weight so you can have washboard abs and look good like a superhero. I really don't care about that. I care about you going, what can I do this year? How can I grow this year? How can I change this year? So that the spirit that's right here, people see it. Amen. What do I need to change, do, or grow? So that wherever I go, people go, that guy? That lady? Oh man, they're with Jesus. Amen. They have to tell me. I can see it. Those people belong to Jesus. I see it in their boldness. I see it in their love. I see it in the way they approach every single day of life. I want you to live in such a way that people just, it's, it's declared. 
I am a child of God and you can see it wherever I go. And so my prayer for you this week is that you will take time and that in prayer, in earnest, heart-wrenching prayer, you will ask God to help you make resolutions for 2019. Because my prayer for you is that when we're sitting here a year from now, and we look back to who we are today, we go, wow, I've changed. I can't believe how different I am than I was a year ago. I can't believe how close I am to God right now. I can't believe the fire that rages in my heart for His Word. Amen. I can't believe the ways that He has used me to change the world around me. I want that to be the peace we have. Amen. Is that we know wherever we stand, it's a lot further along than where we stood before. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for everything that you've given us. God, we take for granted that the minds you've given us are, are a gift. The hearts that you've given us are a gift. The personalities that you have shaped are a gift. Father, I pray that each and every person in this room will realize that while they have their flaws, they're a handcrafted masterpiece that you have made. Father, that you have a plan, a purpose, a reason for each of their days. I pray, Lord, that you will scream into their hearts, that you will plead with them, Lord, so that they will hear what it is that you want to do with them. And I pray, Lord, that once you've spoken to them and they know the direction to move, that they will run with all their effort. Father, you are the potter and we are the clay. Shape us, mold us, change us. Use us for the glory of your kingdom. Father, we love you. And in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. I'm going to go ahead and be up here at the front. Brother James will be in the back. If you have anything on your hearts you'd like to pray about, feel free to come forward. And as always, if you don't feel comfortable coming up during service, please seek us out afterwards. Pray. Let's all stand. <coughs>
feel like I just warmed up. That felt like an intro to me. I didn't want to keep going, but I'll be good. I'll be good. Um, a couple things. So one, please be safe. Please be safe uh, for New Year's. Celebrate, have fun. Uh, look back with, with gratitude for what God brought you this past year. Look forward with hope for what he's going to do this year, but be safe. Just, just be smart. Um, also, on Wednesday, we will be having services. Are you guys practicing? So we'll have choir practice. At 7, though, we're going to do something different. At 7, we're not going to have our Bible study. At 7, we're going to have a, a, a little 2019 focus meeting. And so we're going to kind of share with you some of the ideas we have for 2019, uh, where our focus is for the church, uh, some of the things that we're going to be trying, and some of the areas that we want to improve and grow. So if you can be here Wednesday night at 7, uh, me and Joe are going to walk through some of those things that we want to get done this year and, and get your guys' feedback and just kind of pray about those things so that we're all on the same page. That's Wednesday at 7. We will be having that meeting. Um, I think that's it. I hope you guys have a great week. Remember who we are. We exist. Why? To glorify God. We have a mission, which is to what? Love God, love people, and follow Jesus. And how are we going to do that? We're going to do that with the spirit of power, love, and self-discipline that He has given us. I love you all. Happy New Year. Have a great day. Amen.